You're listening to a podcast from West Wind Church. For more information, visit our website at westwindchurch.org. Well, good morning, and thank you for being with us in worship. We're continuing our study in the Gospel of Luke. Our series is titled The Real Jesus. We're in Luke chapter 8. Last year, while on vacation, my wife Ellen and I toured a museum dedicated to the history and tragedy of the sinking of the Titanic in 1912. We learned a lot, but a few things stood out for this morning's talk. The first is this. Pier 54 in the New York City Harbor is where the Titanic would have docked. And on that fateful day, there was two lists posted at Pier 54, lists of passengers. And at the title of each list, there was the saved and the lost. Now, just imagine coming to Pier 54 and the joy you might have experienced knowing that friends, loved ones, or family members was on the saved list. And yet, the grief, the sorrow, the hurt to discover that friends, loved ones, or family members were on the lost list. You know, we're in the Gospel of Luke. And basically, not only Luke, but all of Scripture suggests this. There are two categories of people in life, the saved and the lost. And Luke constantly reminds us that Jesus in Luke 19.10 came to seek and to save lost people. He came to seek and save you and me. Luke develops this beautiful idea that Jesus was a friend of sinners to the outcast, to the marginalized, to the hurting, to the struggling, to the sinful people who were lost. Another thing we learned uh, at that museum, is that there was only one ship, the RMS Carpathia, who risked everything to rescue over 700 passengers in those frigid Arctic waters, passengers who could not save themselves. And the other parallel that we see there to Christianity is Jesus risked everything, gave everything. He gave his life to seek and to save lost people, sinful people who couldn't save themselves. And so it begs a question this morning. If we are lost in our sin and trespasses, we cannot save ourselves, and God sent Jesus Christ to rescue us as we're drowning in our sin, why do so few people respond to the good news of the kingdom of God? Well, friends, that's not only a question that should be asked today. It was a question that Jesus' disciples and even John the Baptist was asking. Last week, we explored that John sent his disciples to Jesus to ask, hey, are you the Messiah or should we look for someone else? And why was John struggling? Here's why he was struggling. He saw a variety of responses to the kingdom of God coming. He saw people who opposed Jesus and his teaching and his word. He saw people who flirted with the gospel, if you will, 
kind of showed initial interest, but then drifted away. And so the problem then is the same problem now. There's varied responses to the word of God, to the kingdom coming, to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now again, if humanity is lost in their sin and trespasses and they can't save themselves and God sends Jesus to rescue, why do few people respond? And so in Luke chapter 8, Jesus addresses that very question. Relevant then and relevant today. And what we're going to see is through a parable that I titled the parable of the soils, we're going to see four different soils and how the word of God, the teaching of Jesus, impacted the soil of people's hearts. And so this is a problem-solving sermon in a way. And so we're going to look at three aspects of the problem. And the first thing that I want to say about this scenario is the problem is not the seed. Look, if you would, if you have your Bibles open to Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Jesus interpreted the parable that was just read, and he says this. This is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Now, on your screen, you see a figurine. That comes from the first century, and it shows how basic farming was in the ancient world in Israel. And so here you have a farmer with a bag, seed, and he would walk the path, and by hand, he would scatter the seed. And the hope is that the seed would find good soil and bear much fruit. So why do I say the seed is never the problem? Here's why, folks, because Jesus said this, man, woman, shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. The seed is the word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says, the word is living and active, able to judge the thoughts and intentions of our heart. Paul says, Romans 1.16, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. How beautiful. Isaiah the prophet said, you know, millennium ago, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. And then David sums it up so beautifully. Psalm 119, 105, your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. And one of the things that I so appreciate about Westwind Church is how we uh, purpose to preach the full counsel of God from Genesis to Revelation, all of Scripture, planting that seed on people's hearts. And as James, the brother of Jesus, says, that seed will take root and bear much fruit. This past week, we came off of VBS, and Tara and team, great job. Thank you for your efforts. 60 children participated, families, and we know one beautiful thing that the seed of the word was planted. And we're praying that God will water those seeds and bring forth a harvest in these children's lives. So for all of you who participated and worked hard, thank you for planting seeds. Now, secondly, not only is the seed not the problem, the sower is not the problem. And why do I say that? Well, in the ancient world, a sower was a skilled laborer 
who took the seed and meticulously and precisely scattered the seed with the goal of what? The greatest harvest. Now in Luke, this is very important. Jesus is the primary sower. And then he's equipping his disciples and sending them out to sow seed. And then the book of Acts, which is 28 chapters, about 25 years of church history, we see those disciples taking the seed of God's word and scattering it to the Mediterranean world. And what happened? Some seed took root, bore fruit, and a church was born. Again, at Westwind Church, we take our cues from Jesus, and as Paul said, we are purposing always to extend our reach. But how do we do that? We do it by building relationships and cultivating the soil. And then we plant the seed of God's word. We take opportunity to share God's truth, and then you water it through acts of kindness. And what do you do? You pray, then, that God's kingdom comes. And so here's the encouragement. The seed of the word of God is not the problem, and the sower is not the problem. Then it has to be something different, and that comes to our third point. And the real problem that we're going to see from this beautiful parable is that the soil is the problem. And so in this parable, Jesus is going to describe four different soils, and the soils represent the human heart and how the human heart receives the seed of the word of God. And so that leads us to our blessing this morning. And the blessing is this, your response, my response, people's response to the hearing of God's word is dependent on the condition of the heart. And so this morning, there is appeal from Jesus, from scripture, to examine our hearts. What kind of soil is our heart likened to? We're going to look at four different soils. Let's dive in. Response number one, a hardened heart. A hardened heart. Look at Luke 8.12. This is tough, folks, but this is real. The seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes, takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Please hear me. God's goal, according to this verse, is that people believe and be saved. Luke 19.10, Jesus came to seek and to save who? He came to seek and to save lost people. Now, I believe this with all my heart, that Jesus was speaking to a real audience, and basically what he's doing is he is talking to the people who are responding in various ways to the truth of God's word, to the message of the kingdom coming, to his own teaching. And so a few weeks ago in Luke chapter 6, we looked at a story where Jesus was in the synagogue. He heals a man who had a withered hand, but he did it on the Sabbath, and the religious establishment reacted, and they were angry. Let me show you that verse from Luke chapter 6, verse 11. How did they respond? They, however, this is the scribes and Pharisees, were filled with rage and started to discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Friends, that's a sad commentary. But their hearts were hard. 
And basically, the, the picture is this. The seed of God's word is being planted, but the heart is so hard it can't penetrate that hard path. In fact, it also says that the seed on that path gets walked upon, gets trampled on. And Satan himself is likened to the birds of the air that come and feed on that seed. You know, it's tough because, sadly, most of us have friends and family members who have hard hearts towards the word of God. And how do we reach out? Why does the heart get hardened? And there's a number of things we could say this morning, but certainly unbelief hardens a person's heart. Certainly when we hear God's voice, we can harden our hearts. That's Hebrews. Certainly there's a clash between Christianity and other worldviews. When we say that Christianity is exclusive, Jesus is the only way, and other worldviews, pluralism says there's many ways, that can harden people's hearts. Christianity believes in absolute truth. Generally speaking, we have a culture that believes in truth that is relative. That can harden people's heart. Persistent sin hardens people's heart. And so today, we're called to examine our heart. Is there any hardness, resistance? Is the word of God impenetrable to those of you who are watching? One of the things that I just want to encourage you to do as we're always purposing to scatter the seed of God's word is to pray for those who might be in that state of hardened hearts. Response number two, a superficial heart. Look, if you will, at Luke 8, verse 13. We read this. And the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, welcome the word with joy, having no roots, these believe for a while and depart in a time of testing. Again, another very graphic picture that the agrarian world would understand so simply. And what is going on here is basic. The farmer did their best to prepare the soil. But in ancient Israel, you had a layer of bedrock. And there was just a small amount of soil on top of the bedrock. And what happens when the seed gets scattered there, it initially takes root and it grows up. It looks good for a while. But then what happens? It goes down only so far, only so deep, and it hits the bedrock. It can't get moisture. The sun scorches it, and Jesus says that seed ultimately withers and dies. Again, I believe Jesus is speaking to his immediate audience, but very relevant for today. He says there are people who initially hear, and they're receptive. There's even a sense of joy. But something comes along, a trial, a test, a teaching, and they push back. The seed withers, dies, and they walk away. An example of this is found in John chapter 6. Jesus did a wonderful miracle. He fed 5,000 men and their families with a few fish and a handful of loaves of bread. And from there, as he typically would do, he teaches. He uses things as an analogy, a metaphor. And he says, I'm the bread of life. You have to eat my flesh. You have to take me into your life. Let me show you how many of his disciples responded to that teaching. It's in John chapter 6, verse 60, where we read, Therefore, 
when many of his disciples heard this, they said, this teaching is hard. Who could accept it? Then in John 6, 66, from that moment on, notice this, folks, many of his disciples turned back and no longer accompanied him. Friends, that is sad. That is a sad commentary. But it's so honest to the text. There was an initial response. They're flirting with Jesus. They're embracing some of his teaching, but not all of his teaching. And then they ultimately turned away. Uh, I want to introduce you this morning to Pastor Kyle Eidelman. Some of you might uh, know that name. He wrote a book and others. But one that got real popular was Not a Fan. And that book is based around John chapter 6. And basically, Kyle was saying Jesus had a lot of fans, but he had few dedicated followers. And that's the picture of the second soil. It's a superficial soil. The roots only go so deep, and then they hit the rock. Something happens. The sun scorches, withers, and dies. And that's why Jesus, in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, says these words. Please follow along. He said this, To the Jews who had believed, noticed in him, if you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Key words. Continue. John 15, this is the abiding in the vine, bearing much fruit. This is remaining in him and Christ remaining in us, and we bear much fruit for the kingdom and glory. The superficial seed, superficial soil, did not abide, did not remain. It withered and died. Response number three, a divided heart. Look, if you will, at verse 14 of chapter 8. As for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the one who, when they heard, go on their way, and are choked, notice the three things, with worries, with riches, and pleasures of life, and produce no mature fruit at all. Those are hard words. There's uh, weeds and uh, thorns and thickets, and in Israel, some of these weeds, thorns, and thickets can grow up to six feet tall, and they literally choke out the good seed. Now, Jesus makes it very clear that the issues really here are the cares of this life, the pleasures of this life, the resources, the money, the love of money. A number of years ago, Chuck Colson wrote a book titled Loving God. He dedicated one whole chapter to an individual named Mickey Cohen that illustrates this point perfectly. Go back with me in time. It's in the mid-1940s. Mickey Cohen is the bad boy of L.A. He is a gangster, one of the leading gangsters of his time. He got locked up for five years in Alcatraz. When he got out, one of his friends came to faith in Christ, reached out to Mickey, shared the good news, took him to a Billy Graham crusade. Mickey walked forward, made a profession of faith, even met Billy Graham. And so as the discipleship started to continue they saw Mickey progressively drift away. Jim challenged Mickey, hey, this isn't a start-stop thing. This is a journey of faith. And here's what Mickey Cohen said to his buddy Jim. He says, Jim, listen, 
There's Christian businessmen. There's Christian artists. There's Christian athletes. There's Christian singers. Why not Christian gangsters? Jim, you never told me I had to give up my vocation of gangstering and my gangster buddies. Mickey Cohen walked away from the faith. And here's the thing, folks. Why? The cares of this world, the pleasures of life, certainly money, all of what gangstering could provide. And so it got choked out by the weeds, the thorns and thistles of this world. Now, friends, that's a contemporary illustration, but I can take you all the way back to the New Testament. Paul had a co-worker. His name is Demas. Demas is commended in the book of Colossians and Philemon. But then Paul is sitting in prison, ready to be martyred under Nero. He writes these sad words. He is heartbroken. Here is a picture of thorns and thistles. Here's the picture of weeds choking out the word of God. Follow along, 2 Timothy. Paul says, make every effort to come to me soon. Notice this. For Demas, a former co-worker in the gospel, has deserted me because he loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Friends, that is a sad commentary. Loving the world, the pleasures of the world, the things that choked out the truth of God's word in his life. So the situation of the first three soils is seen as tragic since the goal of sowing a bountiful harvest has not been realized. But thankfully, we come to the good news, the fourth seed. And the response is this. This is a receptive heart. Look, if you will, to verse 15. It's, it's beautiful how this reads. Jesus says, But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, having heard the word, and notice the choice of words, with an honest and good heart, they hold on to it by enduring and bearing fruit. I would suggest the language here is just really a package of what it means to have good heart, good soil that receives the word of God. Notice the terms. It's a noble and good heart. And when the seed gets planted, they hold on to it. They keep it. It's a patient and persevering. It's an enduring heart. It isn't a stop and start. It isn't flirting with Jesus. I'll take some of Jesus, but not all of Jesus. And then finally, and most importantly, it is a fruitful heart. From the parable of the soils, we can conclude this, that fruit is the key to genuine faith. In other words, we've talked about this uh, time passed. It's a faith that works. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God foreordained that we would walk in them. Now, I love what Matthew does. Matthew chapter 13 is a parallel text, Mark 4, 2, to this beautiful uh, parable. Let me show you how Matthew describes the fruit. It will help us because we see this empirically in Christians' lives. Matthew writes, Jesus said, Still other seed fell on good ground and produced a crop, notice, 
some 100, some 60, some 30 times what was sown. Anyone who has ears to hear, let him hear. And so the gospel of Matthew clarifies a few things. Number one, a true believer bears fruit. That's just a reality in Scripture. Jesus says you will know them by their fruits. Now, it also suggests that there is varied fruit in people's lives. Some have bountiful fruit a hundred times what was sown. Some 60, and that's still a good harvest. Some 30. And what Jesus encourages is to make sure, to look into the soil of our hearts, to examine ourselves to ensure there's fruit. In John 15, Jesus gives a parallel teaching here. He says this. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you. What's going to happen? You will bear much fruits. And then he closes out that section. He says, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, and I love this phrase, and prove to be my disciples. So Jesus addresses a problem. It's a big problem. Why is there such a varied response then and now? Opposition to the gospel. Why do people flirt with Jesus? Why do sometimes they start and stop? The answer's here. And the only real, genuine believer is known by their fruit. And so we close off with a few reminders. Uh, Luke chapter 8, verse 8. Look what Jesus says. He called out, anyone who has ears to hear should listen. That's why I titled the message today, it's so important. Uh, we're, we're receiving the word, we're hearing it, but are we living it? And then you jump to James 1.22. James, the brother of Jesus, says this, be doers of the word, not hearers only. How important a truth that is. And so, friends, a few questions in closing. As you look at your spiritual walk today, and only you know this. What kind of soil do you have in your heart? Is it receptive soil? Are you receiving the word that's being planted? Is it taking root? Is it being watered? Is it bearing fruits? Can you absolutely say today that you see the fruit of God's spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, meekness, self-control, are you living generously with your time, treasure, talent, and touch, 30-fold, 60-fold, 100-fold fruit? Would the people around you in your immediate sphere of influence say, yeah, they stand out? Your spouse, your kids, your coworkers, your neighbors, do they see the fruit of Christ's word in your life? Are you receptive soil today? Let's pray together. Father, thank you. What a privilege it is to have these truths, to have wisdom from above. And Father, we pray in Jesus' name today that you would open our hearts, open our ears. Lord, the directive in the book of Hebrews, when you hear God's voice, when you hear his word, don't harden your hearts. Father, Free us from superficial hearts. Free us from the word getting choked out through the pleasures and riches and cares of this life. 
give us hearts that receive your word and bear fruit for the kingdom and glory of God. Much fruit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship together.